I'm Karina Sleen. And I'm Adam Benning. And this is We're, we're Just Here to help. help. All right, team. Today we're talking about a bunch of stuff. Talking about the midterm results. Jeff Sessions uh, being you're fired. Uh, the recounts going on basically everywhere. And then we have our favorite segment, which is called irresponsible speculation where we irresponsibly speculate on stuff we have no business speculating in but it's fun it's so fun i love it it's irresponsible i love being irresponsible and speculating yeah you're like what if this and then we this. put them together and, and it's like they're things. so good oh my god yeah all right that's midterm recap we need like uh newscaster music we do dun 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 um yeah so there's like a million data points Let's just so basically what happened is that we the Democrats won a bunch of governorships, not as many as we could have. Right. But we won a lot. And we also won the House back, which wasn't a foregone conclusion because of a variety of factors, including gerrymandering. Right. So it's like if gerrymandering hadn't been a thing, we would have won like. Yeah. I mean, in terms of total votes, I think. No, I mean. It was absolutely a blowout. Yeah. And I want to say one of the stats, maybe for the House, was that it was almost like 57, 40-something in terms of, like, vote share. Oh, well, but we still, yeah. But we still, like, eked out. Yeah. Control. Right. And I think that was, like, also true of, like, in, like spe- specifically true in, like, Pennsylvania or something where mm. it was like the vote broke down almost 60-40 but like like three-fourths of the representatives from Pennsylvania are Republican. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's power gerrymandering. Yeah. So, I mean, there's very specific numbers to this. Yeah. But... We don't have them. But we don't have them. <laughs> we don't have them. We can look at them in the privacy of our own home. We yeah. We don't have them on a printout. So you I mean, I always recommend like 538 for that stuff. Yeah. They sure, have sure, sure, really, sure. really awesome data. Uh, we did not win the Senate. Despite us wanting to win the Senate. Yeah, and that started really early for us. What, not winning the Senate or us wanting to win the Senate? No, not us not winning the Senate. So one of the bellwethers for the midterms was Joe Donnelly. Donnelly yeah. Because polls there were, were closed at six. We had like early returns from there. And Joe Donnelly had a pretty safe, pretty comfortable lead over uh, Braun. Pol- polling wise. Polling wise, but not reality wise. Not reality which wise, which re- refers back to our last podcast, where yeah. I was like, polls are not fortune tellers. The, they're, they're not accurate. They're, yeah. No, they are for. It is fortune telling. If you remember that, fortune telling is not accurate. Uh, yeah, it it, it it it's a roll of the dice. Right. It's a roll of the dice, but true to form and true true to like what the data was. If that race ended up not being so great, it was not going to be a big night for democrats in the senate and yeah. the big thing was like holding the line and they weren't able to hold the line yeah and that was the, the pretty much everyone who was like if you're looking at the data one of the markers that you'll see is if we did really well in indiana that means we're going to do a lot yeah of really great stuff in other places does not mean that in every race we did badly in texas we did really well yeah for uh, texas for texas right beto o'rourke lost to ted cruz by only two points right 2.6 yeah which I will uh, cl- cling to that number forever. Yeah, it's Which a huge, huge. Yeah, most of my growing up in Texas, Democrats lost by double digits consistently. Yeah, Barack Obama was the first person who was within single digits, and Hillary Clinton 
was again in a double digit zone, if I remember right. It's actually so, so incredible that it was 2.6 points. Uh, not to mention, it was done in a pretty short order of time. All of it was enthusiasm. And I think that's really cool to see because it gives us a lot of insight into what makes really great campaigns. And some people was like, oh, it's just like a singular person. It's like, no, there. that's a model there of the type of candidate, the type of campaign you need to run to be able to like drum up and excite people. And it's not going to be the type of candidate who like is boring or placates people. Or and is a moderate. Or is a moderate. To, to yeah. a certain extent. Like uh, Phil Bredesen, who was waving his dick around uh, Tennessee, being like, I know the state, I can win. Well, lost by double digits. He got blown out by like a crazy wicked witch of the East. Yeah. You know, because um, he he gutted Medicaid in Tennessee and we wanted him to win, you know, because we're practical people. Yeah. But it's not like he was running a Beto O'Rourke campaign or Andrew Gillum in Florida. But it, it's it's really hard to say what is going to be successful when you're running in these red states. Yeah, because you have your Joe Manchins. Your Joe Man like Joe Manchin won. Yeah. Heidi Heitkamp lost. Claire McCaskill lost. Two moderates. Andrew Gillum is within, I think, 30,000 votes right now in Florida. We'll talk about that later. Yep. I don't know. Personally, I'd rather err on running a genuine progressive campaign than trying to walk the middle somewhere. You know what I mean? It's working. And I think it's because what we're seeing is the end of the Reagan Democrat. And so the Reagan Democrat was essentially like pretty much after Nixon... And after the Southern strategy really like took off, Democrats were essentially the stripe where they were just trying to like not be so far out of step with the right wing that they could still get elected. So like there were still like supply side economics guys on the left. Your Bill Clintons, your Al Gores were like from Arkansas and Tennessee. Your left wing candidates were still talking about. And this is the thing that I think like stings is like, super predators and being tough on crime and Hillary Clinton you mean when she says super predators yeah yeah but also like the entire moderate left of the United States was kind of in that camp sure I mean they were the moderate left are just the Republicans of the 80s basically yeah uh you want to know a fun fact about Nixon what he tried to pass uh universal basic income oh yeah he also created the EPA I mean like yeah, so the, actually, that was interesting that he wanted to have certain people under making a certain amount of money have a negative income tax. And they were like, no, no, no. That's crazy. It's super crazy. Right? Yeah. I mean, I also have my own personal views about Nixon. Sure. I mean, I, 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 I think that he essentially was like, my goal in life is to become the greatest president who made this country, like truly believe that if I sat down, I could really make it so that like every person was like, happy that the country was safe and blah, blah, blah. His f- central flaw was that he just didn't think democracy was a great tool. Right. Um, and he was a, a very shrewd and savvy politician. Incredible. Yeah. I, I wanted to say that like, he was like the Hillary Clinton of the Republican Party, but I don't think Hillary would. No, I mean. He's a soulless. I don't soulless think. Soulless is, I don't know. He's, he's, uh, he was a master politician, I think. Yeah. He's a master politician, a master conservative politician. I don't think that we can have a politician like Richard Nixon on the left. I think the politicians of the left are going to be your like FDRs, your Kennedy. Oh, sure. Roosevelt's. Yeah. 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 
Oddly enough. Uh, but bringing this back to the Senate. So the results that are in currently at the taping of this podcast is that the Republicans have 51 seats. So they have the majority that they had before. Guessing, I, I was saying on election, they're going to get 54 seats. But Kirsten Cinema is pulling ahead in Arizona, I think by just a couple thousand votes right now. Um, Mississippi is going to a runoff because no one got 50%. Right. So yeah. we can dump a ton of money into that state. And then Florida is probably going to a hand recount at this point because they're within a quarter of a percentage point. Mm-hmm. Yep. By the way, there's some really great news in terms of Florida. So we talked about people being disenfranchised from mm-hmm. voting in Florida. Because in Florida, if you're a convicted felon, you have to petition literally the governor of the state in, like, and in another person. panel yeah. in person to be able to have your rights restored. And there's no rubric. It's just whether or not that panel decides to give you your right to vote. Right. And to get a felony in Florida, you just had to have a small amount of marijuana at some point in your life. When I was campaigning there, and this will still like blow my mind, one in three black males were convicted felons. And that stat is out of this world. It's insane. It's insane. My prediction for Florida, and I know we're we're supposed to save- We're not into that segment yet, but okay. I think Florida will be a blue stronghold for decades to come. Yeah, I completely agree with you. That's what I said as soon as I saw that they passed that. I was like, Florida's blue forever. Yeah. Now, however, if DeSantis actually wins the governorship, there's going to be a lot of funny business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But we'll see. Anyway, so honestly, like, it was as... The election night went as well as could have been expected. We had a middle case. We had a middle case <sighs> midterm night. My concern, my, my deep, like, doomsday scenario was that the Russians were going to meddle. And I do think that they probably meddled with some Senate elections because it's easier to do that there. But there's just there's just so many House seats up for play. It's hard to do that on a mass scale, for better or for worse. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, so for me, like uh, I thought I'm a Russian fatalist. I was like, oh, it's as good as it could have gone. Real realistically, you know, and sure, like I, I, we could have won the Senate and slept the night. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg could have fallen and right. broken her ribs, and so we could have not panicked. But Eh, you know, we have control of the house. That's incredible. I have a lot of optimism for a lot of really big things. One is that we can effectively call Texas a purple state if we can replicate those results again. And Beto left like a huge infrastructure behind and brought up a bunch of people in congressional races and basically cleared out an entire judiciary. Yeah. Also, this is so selfish. During the last episode, one of the congressional races we were talking about was John Culberson, who has represented me for a long time. And mm-hmm. I worked on, volunteered on campaigns against the guy. He is no longer our my congressman. Yeah. He was be, beaten by this left-wing woman. In by the way, like my neighborhood in Houston is like ascendant, middle class, generally right-wing, like financially, sure. basically right-wing kind yeah. of people. And Culberson had a lock on that district for the longest time. So I, I think that, you know, that the infrastructure is there already. People are like, he should just run again and challenge Cornyn. I don't think that there is another Democrat who can challenge him. And I think that you're talking about Beto. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think that that infrastructure is going to get stronger. And just to tell you about not getting disheartened, because if you just saw the midterms. Yeah. It's easy to get disheartened, but the... People the, were really attached to the Beto race, too. Yeah, and my feelings were really hurt, for sure. 
coming into the election, just to be super honest, even though publicly I was like, oh, you know, who knows? Like really just middle case scenarios that are going to take the Senate anyway. In my heart, I was like, the polling is wrong. (laughs) I was like, the polling is wrong. It's going to be a bigger blue wave than I could have ever imagined. Yeah. And the reason I thought that was just because I was like, there are so many more young people. Um, People are generally pretty angry. And I didn't think that there was as much enthusiasm on the right, especially for someone like Ted Cruz. That said, I think in Texas, we've reawoken. In Texas, especially, we've reawoken like a huge beast. Still, there are another 7 million Texans who were registered and eligible to vote and didn't vote. And I really do think that there are a bunch of Texans who are like, oh, wait, like there really was a chance. Yeah. And I was one of those Texans for the longest time. I was just like, what am I going to do? Like, I'd be like, oh, I have to go through this huge rigmarole of getting like an absentee ballot to vote in a state where a Republican wins by almost 10 percentage points every single time. I don't know about you, but I will never not vote ever again. I've always voted. I've voted in every single election. But I'm s- I was eligible. Oh, yeah. I've I just skipped, want everyone to know that. I've skipped like tons. Uh. I've skipped tons. Because I remember for five years I lived in D.C. The entire time I was like, the Democrat is going to win the primary to become the mayor. And then what, however left wing that person is, it won't matter. Because Congress prevents our government from being effective. Right. I mean, I mean, I think the takeaway from the midterms is... And what we learned in the race for the House is that we have to run in every district and we can win in every district. And for a long time, that wasn't the perspective of the Democratic Party. Right. Because, again, we we come back to this. They're paid to lose to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that enthusiasm, all that stuff matters. It makes a huge difference. I think that this is personal armchair opinion. That through the 80s and 90s, there was sort of this feeling of like, nothing matters. Everything's okay. There's no real reason to be like upset or whatever. And now we're realizing like, that's so painfully not true. I think for all those people who were re-enfranchised, I can't imagine if someone took away my right to vote and I got it back, I would show up at the polls every single year. But also like as a millennial now, I'm like, I've seen the dramatic change that can happen. I've seen what's possible. The, just the just the idea that the senator from Texas could be a Democrat and that even being a remote possibility has blown my mind. Yeah. And yeah, I, I hope he runs again. I hope that in six months he's gearing back up the campaign. I think that all that's going to happen is like those neural pathways that activate people and gets, get them like up and going is just yeah. stronger and stronger and stronger and faster and better. Pending not complete doom scenario, the Trump administration has, I believe, reinvigorated people in the participation of their democracy. Because in 2016, we found out what happens if you don't. Just uh, before we transition to our next segment, uh, I want to talk about some of the things that the new Congress can do and why it matters. Um, some exciting wins. Yeah. So this might be a little bit of, this will be a flavor of irresponsible speculation, which I'm excited about. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, first, first starting, we, we had two Muslim women going to Congress. That's amazing. Yeah, from Minnesota and from Michigan. One from like an adjacent district, Ilhan Omar. It's awesome. So there was a meme going around. It's like, imagine Mike Pence having to... Um, is that Mike Pence? Who swears in the Congress? Right. Vice president, right? Uh, s- yeah, vice president. Vice president, yeah. Yeah. So imagine Mike Pence having to swear in two Muslim women on the Quran. Actually, I think the vice president swears in the Senate. 
And then who the does speaker the speaker of the house swears in the Congress? Who who's the speaker of the Nancy Pelosi? Don't they need a vote on her? No, I think it's whoever the current one is. So I think it might be Paul Ryan. Great. Paul Ryan had to swear <laughs> to Muslim women on the Quran. <laughs> a historic number of women. Yeah. Actually, there's one stat I will say. Yeah. Numbers aside, this is the biggest midterm blowout pound for pound in the last 40, 50 years. I remember yeah. I, that stat is crazy. Yeah. So keep the pressure up. Keep the work up. Everybody's We had a more. big success. I don't think people are treating it as a big success. Yeah. You know? This is the point I wanted to make. I missed out on. So when I left in 2012 in Florida, there was an organization called Battleground Texas. Mm-hmm. One of my friends said, you should come work for Battleground Texas. And my immediate response was, they're delusional. There's no way. I was like, how, how are you going to make up a nine, 10 point gap? And by the way, when you're field organizing, the incidental output of field organizing is you get other people who are conservative to re-engage. And that's good generally. Again, I've said this a thousand times, but I'll say it again. Every Democratic campaign just wants more people voting because it statistically works out in their favor. And I was like, that is an impossible hill to climb. And I remember having drinks with a friend who essentially was like, Matt, if field organizing has taught you anything, it's that you can incrementally make a big, big difference. You just have to stay on top of it and create an organization that does it. And I saw that firsthand for sure. But in my mind, I was like, but that was in Florida. Of course it can happen in Florida. There are people to sway. And I had a lot of dark, very conservative experiences in Florida. But in six years... They created this super large infrastructure. And within a year, they were able to take that infrastructure and activate it in an unprecedented way. In Texas? In Texas. Yeah. And so, again, what I want to do is like inspire the hope of not fixating on a single night and thinking of whoever's listening, that they're now part of a larger network and system that deploys and is able to affect change because you're no longer alone. You're part of the larger mind of people who just love American democracy. Yeah. And I mean, I think, again, this probably belongs in irresponsible speculation, but one of the biggest problems I think that we have is that we don't have this groundwork in red states because we've left them out, you know, and that's what's affecting our ability to win the Senate. In reality, you can you can bitch and moan about the Senate being an unfair institution because states with no population but a lot of landmass get equal representation to states that have a larger population, right? Sure. It's it's intrinsically unfair from a representational standpoint. But we're not in those states being like, this is why you should vote Democratic. Right. So whose fault is it? And you know, it's fun to like sit around holding your ween in your hand being like, oh, those idiots voting against their interests. They all don't have health insurance, but they're sick and dying, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, where are we at? Where where are our PACs in those states? Where is our field organizing in those states? Where are we? Are we sitting there knocking on doors in those states? And sit down and like, do you think, like, are we in Montana? Although Joe Tester won that. Montana is actually a really great example of that because mm-hmm. now the tech industry is moving to Montana. So mm-hmm. It's shifting demographics. Another thing that we're we're kind of, ignoring so far about midterms, one of the biggest, biggest, biggest wins from the midterms. What was the thing that delivered Trump the presidency? Russia. Okay. (laughs) In terms of like the electoral map. 70,000 votes in three states. In the Midwest. In the Midwest. The Midwest absolutely crushed it. Yeah. Scott Walker is no longer governor of Wisconsin. Scott Walker, nine lives, survived a recall election. 
Yeah. And S- Wisconsin's a really, really good example. When Scott Walker took over, that was a mind blower. Wisconsin was very pro-labor, was a left-wing bastion for years and years and years. And by the way, Paul Ryan, literal shit stain and libertarian cum guzzler. (laughs) (laughs) We both just threw back our heads and laughed. (laughs) That's all I can think of when a guy shows up at a conference and says that since college, he's been fantasizing about cutting entitlements. He just looks like a bat boy. He's just an asshole. Yeah. So in any case, he's no, he's not an asshole. He's a cum guzzler. A cum guzzler. Wisconsin was moving right. And we're seeing that being undone. And I think a lot of that Midwestern trust for Trump has withered away fast. Um, One thing I want to say about Scott Walker in Wisconsin is that he passed a law that forbids recounts within one percentage point. Oh, really? You know how much he lost by? Less than one percentage point? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That feels good. Oh, it feels good. It's like, oh. That's karmic justice there for you. I'm all about it. Yeah. Thank you, God. Yeah. So the Midwest really clapped back on Trump and GOP policy. So and that's really, really great. Yeah. Those incremental steps are what are getting us a single percentage point, couple percentage points every year closer to turning each one of these states over. And if gerrymandering is super bad, that sucks. I know. But if we make it so that even gerrymandered states become competitive races, There's only so much gerrymandering you can really do. Right. And in 2020, we get a chance to redo the map. And because we have these governorships, they can veto those maps that are written by the state legislatures. Yeah. And then that's just going to be like, it's going to be like double our powers, double our democratic powers. It's just been holding us back for so long. Yeah. We're unleashed. (laughs) We think that was a blue wave. We have a blue tsunami. Yeah. Yeah. But and sometimes blue waves are fun stories, but let's just call this blue climate change. We're slowly, <laughs> you know, each year, each year, uh, several more percentage points, several more percentage points, several more percentage points. And it makes a huge, huge, insane difference. It really, really does. Arizona should not have been in play. Texas should not have been we in play. We won Nevada. Yeah, we won Nevada. Pretty Pretty well, by the way. Yeah. Jackie Rosen, like, sat on Dean Heller's face and farted in his mouth. Yeah. And then got all that. Never mind. <laughs> he got pink eye. <laughs> yeah. He got, and, he, and he got pink eye. And that was supposed to be like a neck and neck race. Yeah. Um, I think Kirsten Cinema will win in the end. Oh, yeah. Once they start counting those absentee ballots. Yeah. All those Arizonans who live on. Elsewhere. Know, yeah. yeah. Same thing for. Anyways, there's lots of speculation. Last thing we want to talk about in this segment is the powers that the democratic uh house now has oh yeah adam schiff is in charge of the intelligence committee yes uh maxine waters is gonna get trump's tax returns for us from the rs they have subpoena power yes what else can they do they can help protect the Mueller investigation Mm -hmm. uh, which will lead us into the next segment which is very important yes they can also start and this is going to be a big point for me they can start proposing legislation that shames the Senate and they can start shaping the political discussion, which is why whoever is speaker needs to be one strong person. Right. Which we'll talk about in irresponsible speculation. We'll talk about that in the last segment. Um, and last thing I want to say is that we are now sa- Obamacare is safe. Yes. The Affordable Care Act is safe. And budgets are safe. 
and tax cuts are safe. I mean, we don't want any more tax cuts. Well, yeah. We are safe from more tax raises on the middle class and tax breaks for the ultra wealthy. Yeah. Yeah. So all good stuff. So the shit shall hitteth the fan come January. Yeah. But for now, we're waiting. All right. Our next segment is um, directly related to the midterms because as I believe I said on this podcast many months ago, this was a Karina was right moment. After the midterms, Trump is going to fire Jeff Sessions. Yeah. Karina is very wild eyed at this moment. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. I had this conversation with people that are like, oh, no, no, no. And I was like, right after the midterms, he's going to fire him. And that's exactly what happened. And if you go back to 2017, one of my favorite things is Lindsey Graham, who was like, if Jeff, Jeff Sessions is fired, Jeff Sessions is this wonderful man, there will be hell to pay for Donald Trump. Yo, Lindsey Graham, where are you, my man? It's because he's up to his eyeballs with the Russia stuff. Yeah. John McCain died, so John McCain couldn't shame his buddy Lindsay anymore. Yeah. By the way, like recusing yourself from an investigation where you are partially implicated is one of the most responsible things that you can do. And Jeff Sessions, if you're a right winger, has been a fine attorney general. If you're a right winger. If you're a racist. If you're a ra- racist right winger. Yeah. 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 Okay. So let's back up a little bit. Jeff Sessions was one of the first senators to get on board with Trump. Or literally the first one. Yes. um, Because they agreed on immigration policy. Mm -hmm. During the campaign, Trump made him in charge of his foreign policy, Mm. where Jeff Sessions had contact with the Russian ambassador. Which he lied to the Senate about. Yeah. So he met with Sergei Kislyak and then lied about it later. Correct Russian Sergei Kislyak. (laughs) Then, once this Trump-Russia stuff started to bubble to the front... Jeff Sessions recused himself from the investigation. No collusion between Trump and Russia. Right. But in Trump's world, in his pea-sized mind rattling around Neanderthal's cranium, this was the biggest betrayal anyone could ever have with Jeff Sessions recusing himself. And what happened when Jeff Sessions recused himself is that Rod Rosenstein became in charge of the Russian investigation and eventually appointed Mueller. Yeah, who, by the way, again, is a right-winger. No. (laughs) Mueller. Mueller Mueller is a conservative. Well, okay, he's a conservative, yeah. He's he's a a former, what we we used to think the Republican Party was in the best possible case scenario. Yeah, we're not talking like alt-right, yeah. No, he was a conservative. He was a conservative guy. Right, and apparently Jeff Sessions was in the office with Trump when uh, Rosenstein appointed Mueller, and Trump freaked out and like screamed at him, berated him. I think Jeff Sessions left crying and went home, drafted his resignation letter, he delivered to Trump. People who are sane in Trump's office were like, you can't fire Jeff Sessions because you just fired Comey. This is going to look really, really bad. You can't do this. So Trump tried to hold on to the resignation letter, trying to hold it over Sessions' head. But then some of his staff stole it from him and then mailed it back to the Justice Department. So Trump has been waiting this whole time to fire Jeff Sessions. And now he finally got to do it. And it's a calculated move. Yeah. 100%. If you saw the press conference after the midterms where he's unhinged, like on a new level of like, he is a scared man who's backed into a corner. And like, this is like, it would be horrifying for any other president, Jim Acosta, this Jim Acosta situation was where his past was taken away for, for a question. So what happened is Jim Acosta was asking the president a question and the president didn't like 
what he was asking and asked an intern to take away his microphone. Yeah. And Jim Acosta just like turned away from the intern slightly trying to keep asking the question. And the White House releases video of Jim Acosta like karate chopping her arm. Yeah. Which is total like. Those doctor. Fascist totalitarian state stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So they're scared. They're they're very scared. Yeah. When the president can't field a question, which by the way. After the midterms. He can't even like feel the chicken nugget into his mouth. Like, can't feel the question. (laughs) No, but I mean, in terms of the psyche of someone who's lying and in trouble, that was someone who's completely lost their cool and knows that someone has informed him that when if the House is in the hands of the Democrats, this investigation can go off. Otherwise, there's really no reason for him to freak out. Presidents before who have had, I mean, Barack Obama showed up on that same stage to essentially said, I I took a shellacking. Like the Democratic Party really like. In 2010. Me. Yeah. And as a reminder, in 2010, the Democrats kept the Senate. Yeah. So it's, just, it's the same as 2010. And this is just a test but of inverse. grace to yeah. show up and go like, hey, like, you know, something that some stuff that we've done didn't resonate with the American people. And tonight we got like a big uh, response from them. Yeah. Cool. But Trump can't respond in that way. And his increased panic, I think, for me, says something. I mean, I think that makes him more dangerous because it's like a obese tiger trapped in a corner. Some people also say that Mueller is ready to like release his report. Yeah. There's speculation. Yeah. But- I mean, I think Don Jr. is going down next. Yeah. Uh, like Again, but that's one of those things that makes me nervous. Like, If Mueller releases more, does that increase the press? Because now the president can fire Mueller. Yes, because if you or at the very least severely reduce the scope and uh, the, right. the funding. Of because the, what what Trump has done has a, he's appointed this like ogre sort of like Whitaker, yeah, yeah. His, I know his name is Whitaker, but he looks like an ogre. Yeah. Uh, if you live in New York and if you've ever seen those like school of dentistry and like physical education, oh my god, posters that's so funny. Where there's like this little skinny girl who's like dressed as a nurse and this like mon's bald monster next to her. Yeah, that's what this guy looks like. Yeah, he looks like professional wrestling's cane with his mask <laughs> taken off. It's, he like barely fits into like a normal human suit. Yeah, it's yeah, he's awful. <laughs> And ahead of the election, this guy is like cooing and writing op-eds about how the Mueller investigation is way out of out of its bounds and what needs to get taken down. And Trump has already lied to the press. On Fox and Friends, he said, oh, it th- thinks all these wonderful things about Whitaker and blah, blah, blah. When he was questioned later on, he was like, I don't even know Whitaker. I don't know who this guy is. You know, <laughs> It's totally new to me, his recommendation. And it's like... He's uh, Jeff Sessions' chief of staff, I thought. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there is a small snag, potentially, and that is that he has never been confirmed by the Senate. Right. And the Attorney General needs to be confirmed by the Senate. Which the is- Senate is controlled by the Republicans. Right. And confirmations now can go through with 51 votes. Yeah. Which is so bad. Which yeah. is so, so bad. I mean, confirmations were going through with 51 votes anyways. Yeah. Harry Reid Not- really made a, made a huge mistake. No, they would have done it anyway. Got gotten rid of the. Um, they would have gotten rid of the filibuster anyway. Yeah, and the Trumps. Yeah, we need. We, we we're gonna have any judges. You know, I don't think Harry Reid made a mistake. No, yeah, I think that's a really smart point that they would have done it anyway. Yeah, and they'd already kind of shown that they were ready to like bend the rules. So it's just like we got to edge out a tiny bit of advantage. Yeah, for a little we bit. we got some judicial seatings at least. You know. Yeah. Um, so that's the that's the super dangerous scenario. That's actually probably why they were doing it. 
What? Why they were holding up all the nominations. During the Obama years? Yeah, because then we'll just force Harry Reid to do that, and then we can take control. And we change it for Supreme Court. Yeah, if you're a Republican strategist, you know that the Senate is your, like, where you hold the most control. Your bread and butter, yeah. Yeah, because uh, the next four years, it's still, like, not the best map. Lisa Murkowski's seat is coming up, I think, in the Mm -hmm. next... In 2020. In 2020. I think Collins' seat is going to come up. We have to defend Doug Jones in Alabama. Doug Jones we have to defend, which is, like, not fun. Uh, You know, (laughs) you only get, like, a really garbage Roy Moore candidate so often. Iowa's not bad. That's that's Grassley, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't... It's hard. I don't need any... Well, we're we're, we're speculating too far into the future, but yeah. But anyway, so uh, this is very bad because if Trump, through Whitaker, fires Mueller... Or weakens Mueller to the point of... Sure, sure, sure. But say he just flat out fires Mueller. We don't see the results of the investigation. That's a, that's an option. Right. Everything everything that's been done gets put through the shredder. Right. Sure. Sure. So that, like all this... Unless could... Mueller decides to become very leaky all of a sudden. Yeah. Which, by the way, like... I wouldn't fault the man. No, I'd be like, please. I mean, and that's make it rain. Yeah, that, and that's literally how Nixon got shut down. Yeah, right. Like someone just showed up and was just like, "Look, I got, I got some juice," and another person's like, "I love juice." Yeah. What kind is it? Grape, my favorite. Guava. Mm. So it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, but like honestly, if Mueller gets fired or any further action is taken against his investigation. You guys got to show up at the protests. Yeah. I mean, it's... There were big protests right when Whitaker was appointed, and not enough people in my mind showed up to those. Yeah. This is corruption at its highest. It's insane. It's really insane. Presidents shouldn't be able to do this. The Justice Department should be able to stand apart and partial. And we shouldn't have people promoted to the position of attorney general partially out of their openly singing praises to... Dear leader, Donald Trump. Right. Which is what's happening. That's what's happening. So keep an eye on that, folks. Dear God. What does Jeff Sessions do now? What does Jeff Sessions do? Does he just do? go back to his like elf tree? I don't and, know. And like keep all the brown elves out of it? This is great. <laughs> I, I want to say it's an Onion article. And it was like, in resignation letter, Jeff Sessions says uh, he feels proud he was able to serve white America for so long. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, like, no other person did as good of a job enforcing Trump's immigration policy than Jeff Sessions did. Yeah. Because that's where the two, their romance began, and now where it's ended, so. The number of people who have resigned and left and come back just blows my goddamn mind. It's not how government's supposed to work. None of this is normal. None of this is okay. It's, It's horrifying. And it only happens in a situation where... The president demands loyalty, and people who don't show absolute uh, fealty to his whims are fired and let go. And you know, mysteriously, they are, you know, want to pursue other things and whatever. Right. Else. Anyway, moving on. Also, I just wanted to say really quick, mm-hmm. Jeff Sessions, dude, you should have not resigned. The most patriotic thing you could have done is like been like, I know exactly what this is all about, and I refuse to resign. You pulled the Sally Yates. Yeah, just been like, I'm staying here. Yeah. That was such a boss-ass move when she did that. Yeah, dude. Ugh. That was, like, early 2017. It's the best. Ugh. Anyway, all right. So, uh, recounts. 
Yes. Many places. Recounts. So many places. Florida. Let's begin there. We have... Two. Two. There's actually three for a commissioner of agriculture as well. Very tight. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, Bill Nelson and Voldemort Rick. in a new human body, Rick Scott. Yeah. Walking head condom. Walking head condom, Rick Scott. <laughs> uh, are now in a... In a are going to a, a recount, and if it gets any tighter, a manual recount, right? Yeah. Or are they to manual recount territory? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's within, within a quarter, uh, 0.25 a percentage point, it becomes a manual recount. If it's in uh, 0.5 percentage point, it's just a regular. And again, in context, millions of people just got their right to vote who are almost like 90 some odd percent left-leaning. So if it's that close now, it means it's in the future, hopefully not going to be that close. Yeah. But uh, all we can do is sit and pray, for God's sakes. Yeah, and get, get good lawyers down there. Basically, what happened is that ballots that hadn't been counted yet in two liberal counties, Brower and Dade, are still coming in. And COC memes like, you don't just find 50,000 votes somewhere. It's like, they didn't find them. They're just counting them. Like, people drop off their ballots on election. There's absentee ballots. There's a lot of outstanding ballots. I think there's like a couple million ballots that they haven't counted yet. So we're in for a little bit of a long haul. Yeah. So just be patient with these poor election officials. They're they are underfunded for a reason. Right. They're underfunded for a reason. There's been some historical trauma with the, the concept of a Florida recount. So, uh, yeah. So we could still win the Senate in Florida. Um, I'm personally more concerned about the Andrew Gillum race because the exit polls were really weird on that. It said that 19% of black women voted for DeSantis, which seems wrong. That seems insane. Because as we've seen in, when we get the returns back, black women are always like 98% democratic. The, yeah, they're they're just... Because they're not stupid. <laughs> like, why? Uh, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. This is a rant that I've been on. Yeah. And it's just, you know, Democrats are always playing identity politics. Sure. No, the Republican Party is always playing identity politics. And I'll tell you how. If Democrats are always playing identity politics... They would have to pick an identity to be playing, right? And they have a coalition of a bunch of minorities who support them. <laughs> but there's a singular identity that Republicans have been playing to for decades to the point where their interviews with one of their leading strategists, who, by the way, was part of a consulting firm that was very prominent, made sure that Bush Sr. got reelected, where people that worked on Reagan's elections, worked on many top-tier conservative elections. That man's name is Lee Atwater. And Lee Atwater straight up just says, yeah, so, you know, you you don't need to, like, say specifically racist stuff. You just need to say things that have a racist consequence. And white people get the picture. And that's pretty much how you're able to lock (laughs) up people um, to vote by inspiring their racial resentment. That's the singular unifying identity (laughs) That's the thing. And it's... it's, it's, it's of the Republican Party. Of the Republican Party. And it's one of those things where it's like, it's so well documented. And it's so not surprising that there has been a huge hike in white nationalist, white supremacist terrorist attacks since Obama's election and has only been encouraged during the Trump years, which has culminated in attacks during the midterms, shootings at the, the synagogue there. Murder. Murder. I mean, like... Two black people in a Kroger. It, it goes on and on and on and on. This is just, like, in recent news. Sure. 
So, so what you're saying to me is that it's highly unlikely that that many black women voted. We're like, you know, the party of pussy grabbing yeah. and arming uh, arming people more. And <laughs> putting our sons and daughters in prison. Yeah. At an alarmingly higher rate. That's the guy I'm really into. No, I don't fucking believe it. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, There's weird, weird stuff is going on in Florida. Um, you know where else weird stuff is going on in? In Georgia. Oh, yeah. Votes are still coming in in Georgia. Stacey and Abrams and um, Soul Collector. Kemp. Kemp. Soul Collector. <laughs> Vote suppressor. Kemp. Could go to a runoff, too, if none of them gets 50%. Yeah. And, like, Kemp's vote share is slowly sinking down and down and down and down. Um, and he engaged in all sorts of atrocious voter suppression because he was the Secretary of State of, Alabama, of, of Georgia for this entire time. Yep. As he was running, which is really... In already a state that had massive voter yeah. suppression. And they were suing... People were suing the state of Georgia on the day of the election. Yeah. They found machines that were brand new, unused, wrapped, and locked away. And they're dis- and this is a voter suppression tactic, right? Is send them shitty machines. The machines break down. People say, I've been in line for three hours. Fuck it. I'm leaving. Yeah. People were in line for three or five hours outside of Atlanta. Yeah. And uh, that is done on purpose. So... I hate this man. Yeah, I hate this man too. So if this goes to a runoff, just dump all of your money into it. Just take out your savings. Really just leverage everything. <laughs> I want a black woman as governor. <laughs> okay. Especially like... And I want a black man as governor of Florida. <laughs> this is one of those things that's floating around and it's like, this woman is like a Yale JD is like, like has been just, cr- has been in the zone... For decades, despite racism, and this dude has, like, no experience. <laughs> no, just, all the experience is just preventing people from voting. And being, like, pretty garbage Secretary of State. Yeah. Arizona might be going that territory as well, depending on how their absentee ballots come in. Yeah. So, keep an eye on all those races. Um, but now, Matt, you know what time it is? The candy part of our podcast. It's the sweet tooth candy time <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> Sweet tooth candy time, irresponsible speculation. Be sure to brush your teeth after candy. this podcast. <laughs> With more, more candy. candy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, irresponsible speculation. Uh, I called dibs on the first topic. Okay. Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House. What do you think? Oh, man, I'm going to inspire some anger, I think, from Go for it. this one. I don't think she should be Speaker of the House. Okay. I think that the best thing that she can do is to step aside and go like, there is a new, there needs to be new blood and it needs to be somebody who is unabashedly on the left, who will not have all of my baggage and who can speak to, look, perception matters a whole lot. And Nancy Pelosi has turned into a punching bag of sorts. Well, they just use her name as like boogeyman. Yeah. like Nancy Pelosi is underneath your bed. And she's smelling your farts and she's going to touch your foot when you go to the bathroom at night. And tell people what you really eat because of all the fart smells that she gets. Vote GOP. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Also, I mean, she's already inspired a lot of ire from Democrats by saying we're going to create a bipartisan this and that. Yeah, I mean, my... my joke on that was like, we can be bipartisan as long as bipartisan includes healthcare for all Nazi scalps. Yeah. You know? And that's that's the thing that gets me is like, 
that speech should have just not even talked about bipartisanship. Yeah. She should have just been like, with this Congress, our priorities are going to be making sure people have health care, making sure their infrastructure project. Like, start talking about – and this is this actually just flows into my personal point about what I think the House should do. And mm-hmm. I'll save that for my part of. But she should have just sat down and been like, we're ready to, like, get back in control and, like, do some stuff. Yeah. Uh, work for the American people. Work for the American people. We just got a clear signal – from the American people. We have a mandate to do yeah. X, Y, and Z. Uh, it's time to take this government in a new direction. Cool. That said, I don't know what Democrats there are, but I really and truly do think that there are probably a ton of great candidates who can come to the fore and really come with no baggage. Yeah. So here, here's the thing. I'm of, I'm, I'm going to make a bunch of people angry. I am of two minds of Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi will fucking whip the caucus. Like, she gets everyone in step, right? She got us Obamacare. Yes. She whipped up an unruly caucus, for better or for worse, got us Obamacare in whatever shape. You know, you can have your arguments on that. Um, I think a big reason that she is a conservative boogeyman is because she's been so effective. And they realize that. And it's like, we need to take down Nancy Pelosi. And she's, uh, by the way, even outside of Congress, she's a fundraising badass. Like, it's not that she carries, like, only negative weight. Right. People love giving Nancy Pelosi money so that the Democrats can do their thing because people know how effective Nancy Pelosi is. Yes. My uh, my issues with her, though, is that she's really old. She's, like, 79. Right. Uh, or something like that. She's extremely wealthy. Uh, my fear is that she hasn't been grooming anyone. To take over for her because I think she's a little power crazy. And then they asked her if like, she was willing to step down. She's like, you know, people uh, want a fray. And the place I feel most comfortable in is the fray. And I'm like, all right, Nancy, like, I'd really have preferred you to have groomed someone for this scenario so you could step down instead of clinging to power. Um, but I, like, I think we're going to see a drag out knockout fight for the speakership. And that's great. I'm right now. I'm in the mind that. I'm seeing all this stuff about who should run and who shouldn't run and all this garbage and Elizabeth Warren shouldn't run and this person should run and blah, blah, blah. Make them all run. And I think for the speakership, I think that that's also insanely true. Make them all make their case and get them up there duking it out. What I – because this is irresponsible speculation, what I think is going to happen is I think Nancy Pelosi is going to win the speakership. I think so too. Because she knows where the bodies are buried. Um and she has everyone by the nuts, proverbially, or literally. I don't know. She's claw hands. Yeah. And she's um, great. I, I I don't think that there's going to be like – I think she's going to be incredible. I think she's going to be amazing. I would rather her step down. I'd rather her step down. I'd rather a more progressive uh, speaker show up, the anti-Paul Ryan yeah. show up, some, some fresh-faced person who's just like enthusiastic and ready to – Yeah. And I want Nancy Pelosi to like still be whipping up votes and all that stuff, but um, – yeah, I, I just think that we need to understand that Nancy Pelosi or and Nancy Pelosi needs to accept that she's part of an era of the the Democratic Party that is is fading away. Right. And there's gonna be a bunch of arguments about misogyny here. And I do think that misogyny is an aspect of it and the way that she's been demonized is very similar to how Hillary was demonized, two very effective, smart, intelligent women. Um, but asking someone to step down when their time has come, the political weather is not appropriate for them to be handling the ship. Yeah. Is not misogyny. Yeah. And now we have a record number of women who are in the Congress. Right. 
there are there are those faces there are they are there are those people who are ready to bring in that new era yeah uh next topic for responsible speculation is matt's topic okay so the big debate is what should the new democratic house start off with like what should be their thing how do they set the tone and the agenda and how do they respond to the senate Mueller's going to give her the report and we're going to impeach Trump. That's <laughs> the first thing that happens. <laughs> and this is the exact criticism I had. I would love to impeach Trump. I really, really wish we could. We can impeach Trump because impeachment is just in the House. The trial is in the Senate. But we need a supermajority, right? Yeah. Once Mueller's report comes out of him, of Trump, like, licking Putin on the butt and, like, trading oiled back rubs and watching sex workers pee on stuff and all sort of details come out we're gonna we'll, we'll be able to flip the amount of republicans needed i think that's the first thing that's gonna happen because Mueller's not waiting this is literally the most optimistic i've ever heard you talk about the republican party like if you if, if someone had made me guess like what karina's response is going to be i would have been like oh karina is just going to be like no republicans are going to double down the re- entire republican party has become morally bankrupt all they'll do is find new ways of justifying and, and defending Trump. The House is different than the Senate, though. I think the Senate will double down and we won't make it past the Senate. But I think uh, there's enough rats on the big cruise liner that is the GOP. And when that ship starts to sink in the form of the Mueller report, there's going to be rats fleeing that sinking ship. And those rats are in the House. And they'll run right into the waiting arms of the rat collector, which is Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> You know, there's probably a smarter political mind out there who knows the ins and outs of how possible this is. Are you saying I don't have a smart political mind, Matt? No, I think that whoever whoever Rude. whoever has that Rude. answer, <laughs> allow me to explain why I am right <laughs> and you're insanely wrong. No, no, it, it, because it's so nuanced. You really have to know the persona behind. Sure, uh, you have to know what the temper temperament of the rats are. Yeah, to be yeah. able to be like, you ready to scuttle? Because there's some cheese on the other <laughs> side of this. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, you like that cheese, don't you? But to take like a middle case, which is what I'm going to go after. My irresponsible hope is, mm-hmm. or what I think would be a good strategy, I should say, is the first bill you should have in, is an infrastructure bill out of the house. It just goes like we build. All we're going to do is put money towards bridges, roads. And put no pork in it. Like, make sure it's just like a clean bill mm-hmm. that's just like, these are the things that you promised. Right. I mean, like, Trump made a huge deal about Infrastructure Week. <laughs> and it just never happened. Well, what happened is all the Mueller stuff came out during Infrastructure Week. And they were never going to do it anyway. But they yeah. were, yeah. And yeah. That, I think this is the time to be like, hey, you, you've bullshitted two years where this didn't happen. Here you go. Here's your chance. And I think it'll make a bunch of Republican senators queasy and it'll start fraying and dismantling the coalition that creates the Republican Party. I think another thing that you would do or you should do if you are uh, in the House is pass basic income. Start just going after like meat and potatoes issues. They're not going to pass basic income. Yeah. But I mean, uh, well, I would say like so. Is it, you want the like democratic version of repealing Obamacare eight times, like something that should never happen that no one actually actually is supportive of what they're going to do for political purposes. I yeah, I essentially want them to find extremely popular bills. No, they should just pass Medicare for all. That's the first thing they should do after infrastructure. Week, they should pass Medicare for all over uh, basic income. Yeah, 
I'll, I'll say this. After infrastructure, I would be surprised at what would come out. I don't think that we're in a place where the Republican Party will really compromise. No, no, I don't think that's going to happen. I'm just saying that the function of the Democratic uh, House should be to troll the Republican Party. Yeah. And to set ourselves up for when we have control of the Senate again and the presidency. Right. Which is 2020. Right. Let's get ready, everyone. So it's just- Rev your engines. It'll be like NASCAR, except when the cars crash, our democracy will slowly take a bunch of hits. What? What? What did you say? No, it'll be like NASCAR as then the GOP ends up in a big pile up and then we win and then we go swoosh with the flag. Yes. And then we get Medicare for all. Yeah. And we find out that the car that won and the then, entire time. And then the Supreme Court knocks it down. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know what? I'll just leave it. Let's just leave it at that. I hope that it's infrastructure first mm-hmm. and maybe like a middle class tax cut. Here's what I think. I think infrastructure week, Medicare for all. Impeach Trump tax bill. <laughs> That's what I want. That's what's going to happen. This is what I think. Uh, what else we got for responsible speculation? Uh, we talked about Florida going blue. And I think it's yeah. going to be blue for a very long time. Unless the governor uh, is one. Governorship is won by Rick DeSantis. And he suddenly finds new ways of disenfranchising people. Which they right will because it's the favorite thing for the GOP to do. Yep. Uh, I want to bring up a small victory uh, on a state level where we live in New York State, uh, where we are now the owners of a, one of the blue trifectas that happened on election night. So we have a blue Senate uh, ho- uh, house, basically. And uh, so I don't I won't really call him blue, but Cuomo is technically a Democrat. So... <laughs> Uh, so we might see something like a statewide universal single payer coming through. We might get legal weed. We might get better voting uh, regulations because New York has actually some of the most restrictive voting laws in the country, in case you didn't know that. We don't have same-day registration. You can't change your party affiliation. Yes, because we the Democratic mob, primaries. baby. Yeah. So anyways, there's probably a smaller case-by-case basis it's on states that also got blue trifectas that we'll see. Um, and I think going forward, again, this is maybe more responsible speculation, but we're going to see the importance of federalism, which is the strength of states standing up to the federal government going forward, where we'll have Democratic governors and legislators protecting us from the actions of the federal government and the Trump administration, which ironically was a GOP favorite talking point until we got control of federalism. Yeah, pretty much. Is that it? Yeah. 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 All right, everybody. Stay motivated. You did great. We love you very much. Subscribe, like, tell your friends, please, about this podcast. Dear God. Dear God, please tell your friends. <laughs> no, we have, uh, we're, we're exponentially growing listeners every month, and we're thankful to have you. Yeah. So, all right. I'm Karina Celine. And I'm Matt Abedi. And this is We're, we're Just, just here, here to Help. We're helping you. <laughs>